Hello and welcome to Raiders Review with Blake and the Pock. I don't I'm speak like that. The I don't fucking speak like that. I just, I just don't. You know, you're getting off the season on a really bad footing. Blake and the Pock. Blake and the Pock. Blake and the Pock. It's Raiders Review with Blake and the Pock. Hello and welcome to Raiders Review with Blake and the Pork. I'm the Pork. I'm Blake. And uh, welcome to 2020, Blake. How do you feel? Yes, it's, it's off to a strange start, isn't it? A, it a, really a new is. season that, you know, potentially promises so much. It does. And, you know, we, we don't want to get our hopes up too much because in the past the Raiders no, had don't. a great season and then, you know, we've backed it up with uh, <sighs> fairly Horror disappointing seasons. ones. Yeah, peak and trough, peak and trough. But this, once more, is the third most popular Raiders podcast on the internet, brought to you with a very dubious support of the Greenhouse, in that they're very dubious in supporting us. And, of course, Land Speed Records, come in and buy your music from people who love the Canberra Raiders as much as you do. And I'm assuming yes. you do if you're listening to this podcast. Yes. You'd want to, you'd want to, you know, we might be the fourth most popular. There's a new ones. Is that right? That come out, but... Uh, a new one. I, I listen to it. I think we're still third. Yeah, no, look, no, that's right, you sent it to me. No, no, it was very entertaining. They had some good shout out, there. Shout out to the Bad and Mean podcast. Bad and Mean podcast, and if you haven't heard it, get on board with it, because they had some good points there, and yeah. you know what? They weren't awful. They weren't yes. awful. And look, you know, we can't, we, we weren't the first podcast, and, you know, we won't be the last, no. so the more the merrier. No, that's absolutely right. The more people loving on the green machine, the better, which would be absolutely magnificent. So, so many things to discuss. But first and foremost, the the people have been crying for a you know a grand final wrap up yes. for us. And Blake, you were hurt. Yeah, well, I was really for a long time there. I said I wasn't ready, and also I didn't really think that I could could partake in a grand final wrap up without um, rewatching the game. Mm. And to this point, I still haven't really rewatched it. So no, I also have not rewatched the I've game. I've seen snippets. I've seen snippets when I've done some research on certain events, but I have also not watched it. Yeah. I'm unlikely to ever watch it again. I think I will one day. It could, it could be like, you know, the sort of the Tigers players, how they've only just rewatched the 1989 Grand Final, you know, and there were cameras mm. there. Maybe we can do one of those things. We could take the podcast to YouTube or something like that and we can actually record ourselves you know, watching, watching that. It. You know, that'd be fascinating for people. <laughs> Look, I've still never rewatched the 1991 Grand Final and I don't intend um, to. I have. I have. And, um, you know, if Mal had kicked. It still hurts. It's still raw. <laughs> if Mal had kicked his goals that day, which I had forgotten, but I have rewatched that. And if Mal had kicked his goals that day, it might have been a different story. But you know, Mal, we love him. We remember he's a great man. That's right. Younger younger fans probably aren't familiar with his goal kicking style. It was yeah, very much toe bashing. It was like you know hit and hope, and every now and then he'd get one out of nowhere, and sometimes he'd miss ones from right in front. It was it was Forrest Gump's box of chocolates. You never knew what you were going to get. And uh, yeah, the day Dave Ferner took over the kicking duties. Although it was, it was I did a happy see, day. Well, actually, the thing I did is, see Dave miss a few absolute sitters. When Mal had his busted arm, yeah. um, Gary Belcher took over the the goal kicking. And Laurie Daly was kicking at one stage yeah. in that period too. But Gary Belcher took over the goal, and I think he was the top scorer for the league that he season. He was. That was eighty-eight. He was. Yeah. yeah, that's actually absolutely spot on, right? But when Mal, Mal came back, they went back to him. So you know, I guess no one was. Or Mal went back to Mal. Yeah. If if he Mal wanted to kick. Yeah, that's right. You know, you weren't going to argue with me. No, I still wouldn't argue with Mel Meninga. You know, he does what he wants. Um, our coach, the great man Ricky Stewart, wouldn't be arguing with Mel Meninga either. So, you know, but grand final devastation. Uh, we were both there. We travelled up in the car. It was a fun trip. And I think the highlight pretty much of the whole... I mean, 
The whole day was incredible. It was traveling incredible. up, seeing the convoys of cars with the, with the flags mm. and the scarves and stuff. It was it was magical. Something that we'd all sort of dreamt about, I think, for yeah. a long, long time. And you know, to be honest, myself, I really doubted we'd ever actually attend a grand final. Mm. So it was a great experience. And even being in Sydney and you know going to the pubs in the city and stuff like that, there was still. 80% Raiders fans. on the, At the game, I'd say it was probably 70-30. Yeah, that'd be about right. 70-30. There was Some a people... lot of green there. But yeah. you know what? The Roosters made a bit of noise too. They, they were there. They were just severely outnumbered. They did. But that end was pretty vocal. Yeah, from yeah. From the Roosters' and point of look, view. And from my perspective too, the behaviour from the Roosters fans um, during the before the game, during the game, and after, especially after, was actually pretty damn good towards us. Yeah. I, I didn't have a whole lot of trouble with them. I tried I tried to pick a fight, fight with a few I'd on the train. <laughs> I was just licking my wounds. But I was you know, me and Tony Mithen were, were eating our feelings on the way back. We had soft serves, we had hot dogs. Well I also think the thing at the time is that at the ground it was kind of different from the perspective of people seeing watching on TV and stuff. Yep. At the ground the six again controversy wasn't as known. As yeah. known. Well, not from our end. The green end was that the other end from, yeah. from that. Yeah, well, we actually we did were. pick up on the game and, and kind of were a bit bemused at the time, but it wasn't... Obviously, we weren't seeing replays. We didn't have commentators. We didn't have people And the game moves on when you're at the game. And look, the, the things... I did see the arm go up, and I thought I thought that was six again. Why is it a handover? So I didn't actually know yeah. why. What I did see straight after that... Um, was the knock-on by Joey Manu when he yeah. gets tackled and the ball slips out underneath him. Um, and it's one of the many issues. So, you know, a lot of people are going to go back and say the six again cost us the game and that Travis Toomer... Um, well, that was the one we the actually picked up the more. We, were more. we picked up the Travis Toomer. At the time, I was yeah. ropeable about that. But look, when you actually come back to it, there were, there's three moments in that game I believe personally cost us the game and I believe the coach is pretty much in agreement with me. One, when we're 10-all... And we're in front of the sticks on the third tackle and no one's running at Aiden Caesar and he's right in front, dob the field goal. Go 11-10, it changes the complexion of the match. We didn't do it, we should have done it. In retrospect, hindsight's a thing, but at the time I was thinking they should do it and they've obviously decided not to because they were a man up. I would have dobbed the field goal. The second one is when Joey Manu does drop that ball, our players were trying to get the referees and the touchies to actually pay attention to it. And straight after that, you know, because the line wasn't as good, Takiyahu goes through, which leads directly to the try that wins the Roosters the game. And it really is play the whistles, boys. We all saw it, but, you know, what decisions get missed. And, of course, the third one um, is, Joey, pass the ball to Jordan as soon as you get it. Don't ride the bump. Because if he passes it to Rapp and Rapp and it goes in in the corner, we're up 14-10. And who knows what happens from that point. And, and that's, that's what you've got to look at. The composure of the side at those key moments. And that side was so good for so much of the match. I think they dominated the match. I think they were the better of the two sides. Yeah. But when it came right down to it, they, they grounded out and they did things. And it came down to, I, I believe, those three times, those three moments there, had they been handled better, any three of, any one of the three, I think we still could have won that match. Yeah. But, you know, it's a woulda coulda, shoulda, and I think that's the bit that hurts the most. Well, the first try, the Sam Verrills one, was incredibly soft. It was a very yeah, soft try. It was a very soft try, and at the time, because going into that game, I was kind of almost thinking, I just hope we don't get embarrassed, because yeah, yeah. a lot of people were predicting the Roosters were going to put on a score, and it was going to be an easy win, and, mm. and when you know that first try was scored so easily, so early in the match, I was like, oh god, What's here we go. Here? But yeah, the, the, the Joey one not passing, I mean, it's been made into a, a, a big thing now. Whether or not, you know, I don't know. 
It's a tough one. It's a tough one. And look, at, at that stage, the team actually played such a good match. I don't believe there was a player who had a bad game. I think everyone really put in. There was Louis, the... Louis had a couple of slip-ups. Look, I, I, I was so impressed with the team in general. Just the determination, the application of duty, just the fight. The way they actually squeezed the hell out of the Roosters, who were known for squeezing sides, was amazing. The fact that... James Tedesco was pretty much wrapped up and completely unable to do anything yeah. until that last moment when he scored the try. Yeah. And that wasn't him doing it. That was him being put away and doing a backup play. He had zero impact on the game except for that. Well, that was a great pass from um, Daniel. Uh, well, look, that's a great spot from Luke Keary to see the hole and run at it. It was a great move over from him to Latrell Mitchell. Yeah, Mitchell. Fantastic flick to put Tupo away. Yeah. And it was a great try. Well, that's the other flip side of the whole Leilua thing is kind of he didn't pass, which maybe cost us a try. And then he sort of, to some extent, blamed for that try for not getting back. But he did make the tackle in the first place, and then they got the quick play the ball. Yeah, and yeah, then he was yeah. out of position, but I don't I, know. I'm not, I'm not going to... I think Joey had a pretty good game. I thought he was pretty good in defence. He kept Mitchell quiet pretty much the entire match. I think he had the better of him too. But, you know, there's always things you can look at. You get rocks and diamonds from Joey, and sometimes those diamonds are just brilliant. Him running across the field and then flicking it back inside to Bateman to beat Melbourne and yes. Melbourne. Come on. How good was that? I know, and because also if you think about that game, if they had just gone wide, which would have been the obvious thing, they may have scored, and they may have scored out wide. And then Croker was, didn't really have his radar on that night. Didn't, and towards the end of the season, he didn't have his radar no. on. So, you know, turning it back inside was actually, you know, it's like Chica Ferguson going, I'm not going for the corner <laughs> I'm going back to the sticks. Getting back to Mal's goal kick. Even, even, when we scored, even when we scored in that game under the sticks and Mal had to kick the, the yeah, goal, uh, the centre's uh, extra, I was still cheating. Oh, I knew it was no cert <laughs> on that particular occasion. But, um, look, I, if I had to choose between Mellon and Toots to kick for my life, it would be Toots every day of the freaking week. Oh, 100%. There's just no question that would that would be the go. But, it, look, it was devastating. Um, I, I think the problem we have now is there's so much promise in the side, and we'll get to the actual layout of the side shortly, but um, it's how you recover. And I know the coaches basically say the only way to make the pain go away is by going one better, and that's what we're all focused on. That's his message to me, that's his message to you, that's his message to all of us listening at the present stage. And when he's referring to that, he's not just referring to the 1-17 to that's going to be on the field, he's referring to the 18th man, which of course is us turning up at the match and yelling at the top of our voices, because there is no question that the fan support that came along throughout the season, particularly in the second half of the season, when it just seemed to grow and grow and become more and more powerful, was just this massive influence on the way the game was played and the spirit within the team. You would you would expect that there will be a big you know on the on the back of the incredible run and the success. Mm. It wasn't even so much you know like a miracle run. It was like a consistent season that that crowd numbers will be up and you know membership numbers will be up and. But they're very aware they have to set off you know a good start as you know for any season. There's only been one side in the last thirty years that's won the competition after losing the first three matches of the season. That was the Cowboys. Yeah. Um, and again, that was if, a hot streak at yeah, the back end. That's right. And and we're in a position with a, a a loaded team that was able to do it, but. At the same time, we know we have to get off to a good start. If you get off for three well, wins for if, three matches, if, if we can't, if we can't beat the Titans yeah. at home, yeah, yeah, on on the the glamorous Friday five thirty slot or whatever it is, yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant one, isn't it? 
Uh, if we can't beat the Titans at home, well, we're not serious, are we? No. And, and that's but it's, exactly a, it's, right. a, it's a danger match because that's the sort of thing Absolutely that we Absolutely, it's a danger match. And they'll be ready for us. Now, they're, they're going to be without Ryan James but at the same time. So we've got them. Then we go to the Warriors at Eden Park. Now, they beat us the last time we played them. Yeah. So that's no good. And then we that come we did home rest players on the Thursday game, night and we play the Dragons. So, you know, getting two from three would be great. Getting three from three would be wonderful. After that, then, of course, we come home to one of our major bogey teams in the Sea Eagles. So while the season could get off to a really good start, there's a few dangerous bits in there. But, you know, in the off-season, we've said goodbye to a few players. Uh, Arda Hingano's gone. Brad Abbey has gone. Royce Hunt has gone. Uh, we all know Jordan Rapiner has gone. Of course, Joey Leilua has gone. And Aidan Caesar has gone. And in the interim, what's actually come into the club, of course, is Curtis Scott. And George Williams. Oh, and George Williams. Georgie, of course, has come in. <laughs> he has a very large nose, George Williams. He's a good player. It's interesting to watch um, the end-of-season series, the Great Britain Tour under Wayne Bennett. It mm. was a debacle. It really was. It I really think, was a I debacle. I think Wayne, he, there were some strange selections, some strange... Oh, yeah. Did you watch some of Blake Austin's work on the wing I, for Great Britain? Look, I, I watched a lot of it in, in wonder about what the hell he was doing. It's like, you know, it's like when Paul Green played Cohen Hess in the centres and it, you know, within... 20 minutes you knew it was a debacle and he did it for four matches in a row and it's like what are you doing you yeah. know you just didn't understand but you know I think Wayne's about to be rolled out of that no, job he's, he's, he's gone because that team was far far better than those results well George Williams didn't even feature on the field yeah. until the last um, the last 20 minutes against um, yeah. New and, Guinea and, and look, he were looked, over by that yeah start. well he was trying his hand and some things he tried um, came off and some things he didn't but you can't read too much on him as a player based on no. you know coming on for the last 20 minutes in Port Moresby trying to play catch-up football. No, but it, like, he's coming into the seven jersey and he'll say himself he's a running seven or a six. And so what we're going to have is a six and seven who are running, who are going to well, take control of either side of the field and we're going to have Josh Hodgson. Yeah, in and that's the, the plan. Calling. Josh Hodgson is 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 the the Robbie Farrer, the Benny Elias, you know, whatever. He's going to be the I certainly hope he's better than both of them. Oh, okay. I'd go probably more with the Cam Smith would be more the role <laughs> I was looking for. I'm hoping that... Benny Elias was good, man. Everyone, everyone now tries to sort of say that he wasn't that good um, oh, no, he was because, great player, because he's an absolute tosser. As you know, I'm a Steve Walters man to the core and anyone who Steve Walters hates, I hate. Yeah, but Steve Walters was brilliant, but he wasn't really running the show in the sake because he had Ricky Stewart and no, everyone else right, running the show. I but still believe he was the best hooker in the 80s and 90s. I don't think there was yeah. a better hooker than him. Benny Elias, I think, Benny Elias is, was is, is more was more the the blueprint for the, the modern Cam Smith. I think know. that... Uh, he was the main man, and you had, like... If you look at the 89 grand Mick final... Mick Neal and, um, uh, and, and Freeman. Gary Freeman. But he wasn't really... He was just... Better do the grubby stuff. He did a lot of grubby <laughs> stuff, Gary Freeman. When you go back and look at old, old things, cheap shot merchant of oh, yeah. RX Lance. I mean, he was bloody brilliant. It won a Dell M though, so yeah. you know, great player. So getting back to George Williams and how he would play, mm. yeah, I think that you know Hodgson's going to be the main man, and Williams is a running threat. And having two halves that are running threats is quite is quite unusual. Not many teams in the RL. They might have one, but they usually don't have two. And Jack's got the long kicking game, and George Williams got the short well, kicking game. George Williams. From what I've watched in the Super League, and unlike yourself, I do actually watch the Super League. I do quite, not watch quite the regularly. Super League. I know, which, which in hindsight makes the whole thing that you had this historical revision where you tried to tell me that you were the one that knew everything about John Bateman and 
predicted him to be when a great success. When I knew it was coming up, I went and did my research <laughs> oh, on come Jonathan on. Bateman. I come did. on. I did. I went and watched my YouTube clips and what come he was. On. I went, what's this bloke that people I'm hearing whispers about in the tunnel? And I went and did stuff. And I came and said, I reckon he's pretty good. I reckon he's an awesome signing. Like I said, I, wa- <coughs> I watched him and checked him out. And I thought that he was good, but I didn't realise how good. I knew that he was a competitor, good. but I didn't know the, the skill... I didn't see the skill that we saw last year, but well, anyway, so it's not just skill; it's the bloody application. Yes. Well, I knew that there. I knew that the fight was there, oh, and I knew the commitment was there, but I didn't know that the the show and go and the flick and everything else, the kick through. I didn't He's know all that it. was there. He's relentless, and and he will give you no peace in attack and defence. You know, and that's his power. But George Williams in the UK predominantly operates on the left. Yeah. As does Jack, Jack White. Whiten. Yeah. So I think Jack White is going to stay on the left because he's got such a good combination with. You know, mm. Whitehead and Croker and stuff, and, yeah. and and Williams will probably operate more on the right. Oh, where look, he he's does have defence next to Croker, and they know what each other's game. So that there's no reason to bust that. So yes, yeah. I think he'll go over to the other side where Caesar where, was, and where Bateman is too. So he has he's played a lot with Bateman at yeah. Wigan. So yeah, and Bateman will be able to do the same sort of job with yeah. him. Mind you, George Williams is a pretty big unit, and his defensive line's pretty good. Yeah, solid. Um, and he's good at breaking the line. He's he's got a, a he's got speed, and he's got a lot of nugget in him. So he's going to be able to break a tackle yeah. as well. And like we we're saying about the short kicking game, he's got a really good short kicking game. And to have a good short kicking game in Super League is especially good and especially difficult because the in goals are tiny. absolutely tiny because they're all mainly soccer fields. Mm. And yeah, they, there's basically fans. You know, the in goals might be three meters yeah, or yeah, three yeah. or four meters. Whereas here, they're five. Yeah, minimum five. Le- Do you remember least. when uh, Ricky Stewart made sure the in goals went out to like fifteen bloody meters? Well, though? when they built when they built the new Parramatta Stadium in '86, it was they deliberately built these huge. That was the first one. They yeah, had the huge in goals for Peter Sterling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and Ricky wanted them. So actually, now I think about it, um, they're ten meters in goals. Ten. Yeah. meters. Um, that, that's what it is. Anyway, the other big recruit was Curtis Scott. Now, I think we all saw that, you know, had a bit of a fanfare of Curtis Scott, and I think we've all liked his work. I think there's not one of us who didn't look, look punching Dylan Walker in the head and think, yeah, good but on that man. He, I had, had had him pegged as a bit of a grub prior to that, and, you know, I most Melbourne players I take an instant dislike to, and the odd one wins me back over like a, you know, I guess like a fox or... I'm trying to think well, the Melbourne players. Cesar like... Wonga was pretty good when he was with us. Yeah. He was a Melbourne player. Brett White came back to us from Melbourne. Didn't do much. We signed him on reputation. I, th- I thought Brett White was pretty good. He did his job. I, think, I think that if you look at teams like the Roosters and Melbourne, they don't tend to lose players that they don't, they're not prepared to lose, that they don't want to lose. Yeah. You know, and when Brett White came to us, I think he was pretty much well and truly busted and his best football was behind him. And, you know, we probably were... The Fernands were probably high in the fact that we were signing, you know, a pseudo-local from Cooma. Yeah. Or well, he's actually not pseudo, he's a, from Cooma. Well, he's from Berrydale. But anyway, we're close to Cooma. He oh, played his junior geez. football. Yeah, and one of the things... One of the pieces of criticisms we'd received in the off-season that was that... And I, we want your opinion on this, is that Blake and I are complete smart-asses and pedantic about yeah. details, and we always seem to know the facts. So I got a bit of a lecture about this from... Um, uh, Steve Steve in the car coming back but his idea was complete rubbish anyway. yeah I was just dreadful and he doesn't li- <laughs> like he listened to about three seconds of one of the things he's not really our target audience no but he was very funny yes well he he seemed to think that we should have like some sort of Joe Rogan style yeah, um, yeah. intern that could be like googling facts for us but yeah, instead of us actually knowing stuff like <laughs> you, you knowing it was Berrydale rather than Kuma well which is... my, my in-laws are from I mean, my in-laws know him is that That's right? That's the thing, yeah. My in-laws are from Jindabyne. 
Is that right? So, yeah, they know him. Which, of course, is just up the road from Berrydale. Yes. Which is in between Cooma and Jindabyne. Yes, yeah, correct. Right. Okay, so I know these things. Anyway, so um, by the time we got him, he's pretty much busted. And so what I'm saying is Roosters and, and Storm don't so tend you don't to like let the go Curtis, Scott purchase? Well, he obviously has issues, which is why the Storm were prepared to let him go. And, and we've seen his issues. It didn't take long to come to the fore, did they? Now, you know, look, whether we were going to touch on his issues, but they didn't take long to come to the fore. What we need to say is that this present Allegedly. Stage, allegedly, for a starter, <laughs> and this is our position, this is the club's position... Curtis Scott has um, played not guilty. Regardless of any indiscretions, right? The back tattoo, bad, bad sign. The mo, bad, bad sign. I mean, under Ricky, we have pretty much had, uh, we'd followed the no dickheads policy. And I just don't know how he fits into the no dickheads policy because I see with that back tattoo, with that moustache, there's just, there's a bit of the, the Josh Dugan-esque sort of world to all that stuff. And I'm pretty concerned. And um, the fact that the Storm are kicking in $200,000 a year of his contract for the next two years tells us they were pretty keen to get to see the back of him. And obviously that made sense to bring him in because we were very keen to see the back of Joey Leilua and we were actually paying, I think, $400,000 well, of his money. I don't think we're keen to see the back of Joey Leilua. I think Joey Leilua went because he was going to be under pressure for the spot and had been pretty much told he was down the queue. So the fact that we're prepared to kick in so much money to to get rid of a player of that quality tells you that they didn't want him at the club anymore, you know. And and the, the thing is, with with Joey, sure, the whole way through it's been rocks and diamonds, and you know you've got to take the good with the bad. And and clearly, hmm. the coaching staff, the powers that be, had just grown tired of the bad. But you know, the good's so good. I know. The good, the good got us so far, but obviously that had enough of him. Yeah. And whether whether it was you know what was the store that straw that broke the camel's back, you know was he already on the nose prior to not passing to? No, I think the knees in the back, in the in the chase in the. That was so frustrating. In in the manly game was was probably frustrating because it was two match suspension that was completely unnecessary. Well, it cost us that game. It cost us that game, and that I mean that cost us that put us back into fourth, which ended up being a blessing in disguise. I know. But having said that. Um, but you know what that came down to? The way that he he fell into his back, it almost wasn't even... There I was, was, an, there was not there, deliberate, I thought. Well, there was an element of maliciousness, and there's always been that element to Joey's game. But apart from anything else, it just looked like it was a lazy sort yeah. of... Un, the fact that he still wasn't quite fit. Oh, and the two the two extra points is what cost us that match. Because I know. in the end of that match... Had we, they'd not had those two points. It had just been, they'd been two points of fun. There were 16,000 opportunities to take the penalty goal to, to even it up. Manly were on their last legs. They had men off the field, sin binned. Um, they weren't going to last us, and it really did cost us that match. So you can see why that's there. But I thought Curtis Scott was a good buy, and for this reason, his defensive application is fantastic. And that's what got the Raiders so far last season. It was because the line didn't bend. We weren't leaning in easy tries. He's fit. He's athletic, he's strong, and he's going to hold his spot in the line. He's not going to miss his easy tackles, and he's going to have that defensive mindset. No, but he doesn't have that X factor that, you know... He doesn't, and that's not what Ricky was looking for in that area. He was looking, and he's clearly looking for tradesmen... I know. In the centres and the wing positions. I know. We want to concede... damn job. We want to win games by conceding, you know... Less points than we score. Yeah. Whereas Rather than past, scoring more points than they do. Because well, that wasn't working for us. Before last year, I think we needed to score over 28 to win a game. There wasn't yeah. really a game that we'd won. That, no. you know, whereas last year, 
were winning scoring you yeah, know, 12, 12 points, which hadn't happened. And <laughs> last season we held three sides to nil and we won three matches where we scored under 16 points. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the mark of a premiership side when a side can... And we won ugly matches which we didn't have yeah. a right to and win because our defence held. And obviously, you know, that's the plan moving forward and getting rid of Joey and replacing him with Curtis Scott makes perfect sense moving forward with that plan. It's just unfortunate that what has allegedly up. happened. But we, we don't know what's happened. He's pled guilty. The club is basically holding back on any decisions whatsoever until the facts come out because, you know, that's everyone's right within that. And it may come out that he's free to play, that he doesn't get suspended in any way, shape or form. Well, that's what his lawyers his lawyers spinning. Very firm on that stuff. And, and the good thing is it's coming up very quickly, so hopefully it can get heard quickly and the NRL can make a decision on it. Yeah. Um, and, he, and, and it's cut and dried what happens. Because well, Greenberg's we back on, on Thursday from the Super Bowl, and at which point he's going to apparently make a decision on this and, and the Tyron May and a number of other ones. Well, um, I think Greenberg, hopefully, looking at the... <coughs> Jack DeBellin debacle will hopefully delay any decision on stand-downs until such point as the actual courts have made a decision. Well, this, well apparently this does Or there's established facts on which to base the stand-down. Yeah, well, apparently this doesn't qualify for the no stand-down policy because it's not quite in the level of sexual assault, rape, stabbing someone at a church dance, those sort of offences. Really? Yeah. So Assaulting it's, it's, a police officer? No, well, apparently it's not a 10-year... These other ones, it's got to be a 10-year-plus... Sentence. Yeah, well, you know my view on that. So that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. That just tells you what people need to accuse you of in order to get you off the field. Just saying, oh, just accuse them of that, and you know we'll stand them down. Yeah. What's it? Because if he'd pled guilty at his first thing, he wouldn't be able to train. And yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. Well, I still we'll, think we'll see what happens. Down. I think at this present stage, it's probably good for them to be thinking about contingencies about what's going to happen then on that right side, because we knew it was going to be Scott with Kotrick outside. So what's going to happen now? Kotrick back to centre as as he as he did you know looked, I, looked I, good in that that period. I think that's absolutely spot on. But who are you going to put outside him? Oldfield. Oldfield. Yeah. I think Oldfield's there. But we've got um, Harley Smith Shields who's breathing down the neck, and everyone's got a lot of wraps on. Um, and I think he he's he's the person who's probably coming up from that. The area. other one would be Sebastian Chris, but he's now been announced. He's he's on long term leave. Yeah. Um, and the club's supporting him within that, but not a happy chappy at this stage. And I really hope. You know, things work out well for the kid because not only I thought he added quite well to last season and was playing some pretty good football, it's always a pain to see a kid like, you know, going through a really oh, hard yeah. time. You like don't want to see is. anyone struggle. Um, and I really hope he, he gets better because from what I saw of him, he was a nice kid too. So, yeah. One of my concerns um, with Joey going and, and Rappiner going is, is our ability to get out of our own end. Who's going to step up there? Well, look, Nick Kotrick. Well, yeah, but one of the things that um, people have been—I've been talking to a lot of people about this—is Oldfield is completely undervalued. He runs hard, he runs fast, he's a big body, and he hits the line hard. He, we've never found him wanting whenever he's, he's fast. Needed. He's fast, but he's fast and he's strong, and he yeah. has—he's has a red hot go. Yes, Jordan Rapiner was awesome at ball returns and getting us but out. But so of trouble. was Joey, and Joey could be really good at it as well. But CNK is good at it. Kotrick can be good at it. Um, Bailey Simonson can be good at it. I think Simonson's quite good at it. Whiten is also very good at it. But, you know, at some point, you don't want to be using your best player as a batting ram all the time. That's right. And he's going to be playing three games of Origin where he basically is a batting ram. But that was half of why Rapiner was 
you know, it was sad to see him go, but it was getting to the point that he had been used the battering ram, yeah. and he was injury prone. And, he, from and that. He, look, he maybe played five years for us, and prior to that, he had a lot of time out of football. But those five years, I think, yeah, we were really starting to take a toll on his body, and yeah. I think we did start to see that maybe t- towards the back end. And it of wasn't last his season. heart; it was his ability to stay yeah. on the field. And so, going to Japan and extending his career in football and, and earning potential. I wasn't totally opposed to it, but yeah, it's it's sad to see that he won't be able to come back, especially in light of this whole Curtis Scott debacle. All right, so let's let's look at our best, what we think is the best um, starting lineup. So starting with the the front row, uh, I see personally Horsburgh, Hodgson, and Papali. Um, although we both discussed this, and there's a chance that Soliola will start and Horsburgh will go to the bench. Yeah. That that's I think interchangeable. Yeah. We know that second row is fairly obvious with Whitehead and Bateman. I can't see it, that it, changing it, for any reason. No, uh, Tarpanay at lock. I think he made the position his own. Yeah, I think he has, and he played a really good thing. We obviously got Williams and Whiten in the halves with Sam Williams backing those two up. Um, then in the centres, um, at this present stage, um, we've got Croker and Scott in the centres with probably Kotrick going into the centres if Scott's out. And then if he's not, we've got Kotrick and Simonson on the wings. I think that's a safe bet there. Yeah. With Harley Smith-Shield breathing down the neck of the wingers at this stage, as well as Oldfield, which are two very handy replacements. And obviously C&K at fullback. It's a sign of an established team, isn't it, you know, that where your first 13 essentially picks itself. Yeah. It's, 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 that's, that's a hallmark of, of the, the top side's yeah, in the league, whereas a lot of the other sides, you know, it's more Who's up in the air. In? And really, there's only one position which we think the starting side might change, and that Soliola might start and Horsburgh yeah, might I'd, be on I'd, the bench. I would expect that, but I mean, at a certain point, there's going to be a changing of the guard because oh, you yeah, know, absolutely there will be. See, Soliola's not getting younger, and no, he's not. And Horsburgh's definitely, you know, oh, someone on the rise, and he's someone we expect much. to probably. Assuming he has a good start to the season, he'll probably get a run for Queensland as well, potentially. He's looking very likely for that. So then that comes to the bench. Now, my biggest question on this is 14. Last season, at the end of the season, we were running in with Bailey Simonson as 14. And it's one of those things where, at the time, you know, you think, why are you playing an outside back on the bench yet? Just about every game that he was he was there, he, he was needed. In and it was a brilliant change. And he's good. And, 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 it's, can... and it's one of those things where you kind of, you question the coaching staff and then you think, well, hang on. You know that clearly, one. clearly, they know what they're doing. So, so I, look, I, I would still be punting for Sevilla, uh, Sevilla to Saliva Havili to come yeah. in at fourteen, simply because he's a backup hooker to give Josh a little bit of a break out there. Um, but also, he can play back row as well. Um, he never, never puts in anything for a hundred percent. His tackling is good. He's a good battering. Ram. He probably plays more in the middle than back row. Havili yeah, when he comes on. But, he, but he's, got lock a, or... he's got a really good attitude, um, and I really like him. And well, I the, the, the thing about the reason why we've been able to carry an outside back um, on the bench is because Ricky only really uses three of the forwards, yeah. And there's usually one person there who's getting you know token minutes at best, yeah, reserve minutes, emergency minutes. Yeah. So the rest of the bench, this is what. It, so we've already established the one player we're absolutely bloody positive is going to be on the bench is Cia Soliola. He'll be in there, either that or Horsburgh. So yeah. one of those two will be on the bench. I'd say it's a safe bet to say Emre Gula has got a spot on yeah. the bench until such form goes down. And given the fact that he had a really good season last year and Ricky used him every match he could, I think Dynamis Louis is going to be on that on that bench yeah, as well. Yeah, he's, which... he's one of those ones that um, divides opinion. I'm reasonably a fan of him because at the end of the day as well, you can't have, you know, not every 
you can't have big money forwards in every position. No, There's you can't. There's a thing called the salary cap, and you need your, your, your hard-working cheapies, and he sort of falls into that category. And he's obviously liked, because there's yeah. no way in the world he's getting through there on like for, liked for his work output and his abilities, because there's no way in the world you hold your spot down in this side yeah. um, for any other reason apart from the performance yeah, they so set, and he's marking, meeting them. So, the interesting ones are Ryan Sutton. Ryan Sutton. Um, Where he fits in. Look, he's got to be knocking on the door. He was he was great all season. When he got left out of the side, it wasn't because he was doing a bad job. It's because they thought someone else could do a better job. And Emre Gula pretty much came up into that spot. Um, Emre Gula did a bloody good job too. But Ryan Sutton, it should be said to his credit, turned up to every match, had a smile on his face, didn't whinge about a damn thing, didn't look troubled about it, was there to support the boys at every single step. Like he did, like, and that's to recommend him. And I, I know that's to recommend side. If he gets his chance again, you expect him to take that chance. Um, so he's there. Hudson Young's obviously suspended for another, what, five few weeks? Matches I don't know how season. many it is. Well, he got suspended um, at the Warriors match. So he played, that we played three more matches. It was a nine match suspension, wasn't it? Or it was an eight match suspension? Something like that. So he's got like six matches. Five Trials or six don't matches. count anymore, do they? No. So it's got five or six matches. Can we select him in the nines? I think he selected in the nines, so that might count for something, but I don't think so. I don't think they count for matches. So he's got five or six matches, but he will be pushing himself back into that side. Sutton will be pushing I think that we probably won't see him until... There's an injury. Or or state of origin sort of of time. I I wouldn't be surprised if we see him before that. He's Um, He's still a good prospect. Obviously, the whole, you know, stuff that went on with him last season is just is mind-boggling and you uh, hope that he's oh, you know, he's on last chance saloon if he does that again I mean seriously if he does it again the suspension would be so damn big that yeah he does anything you know he's he's been marked he's a marked man yeah, he's got to be on his best behaviour and people will be watching him as yeah. a result so but the other one is that 14 could be Oldfield yeah could be Oldfield because he can cover the back three he's a hard body so at a pinch you could put him into the back row yeah. to, to do some dirty work so he could go into there as well Hi, Alan Sung here, former Canberra Raiders captain. And you know what? I don't really listen to podcasts, but if I did, I'd probably listen to the third most popular Canberra Raiders one, Raiders Review with Blake and the Pork. Time to do one of our first segments for the year, and this one is uh, one of yours, Blake. Who's got a lift? Who's got a lift? Is this my segment? It's your segment. Who's got a lift? Because you don't like to bag anyone, because you're the suck hole. I'm the sucker lever. So do I have to lift as a suck hole or do I have to lift as not being a suck hole? you, you got to stop just playing it safe, so, Tom. you got to be, you know, that's we're talking about criticisms that we get at this podcast and feedback. The pork plays it too safe. That's what I hear all the time. Pork plays it too safe, does he? Well, here's the thing. If you're in the side, you're in the side and you stick with the side and you got any criticism, you raise it within the side, you don't raise it with outsides of the side. We win as a team and we lose it as a team. Bingo. And we don't blame anyone unless it's Joey Lelua. And then we punt him. I don't blame him either. I, I will miss Joey Lelua. That's not my, my job. I anyway, just, who's got a lift? I just support the coach and his decisions and I have his back 100%. Who's got a lift? I'm going to say Nick Kotrick has got a lift. There's not in that he's necessarily been playing badly last year. It just maybe he didn't, you know, he came, he burst on the scene with so much potential and then, you know, he was maybe a bit quiet at times mm. last year. Mm. But still very good and, you know, ironically enough, probably wasn't his most outstanding season, but yet he went on to, you know, rep oh, honours. And, and he built and he'll be so much more as a player. And, and I think if he goes into that right-hand centre... Yes. 
I think this is his opportunity to become everything you can see that he is. And look, Jack White took a little while to blossom, and when he did, it's been yeah. absolutely... And I think Nick Kotrick more than has that inside him, and if he goes to that right centre spot, I reckon he's going to have an explosive year. So I think he will do. Yeah, well, he'll be, he'll be there at some point, just how long. Yeah, well, that's the thing. But if he does, just say he does set the world on fire mm. at right centre and does everything that we know he's capable of, does Curtis Scott immediately get the spot back? pushing Kotrick back to the wing. Who knows? Time will tell. I think they'll play that one by year. You've got to see what really happens with Curtis Scott and and what the impact of that is. Because, no, I mean, that's one of the great uncertainties now in the team. Speaking of Curtis Scott, um, when he comes back into the team, assuming he does come back in the team, assuming all is forgiven, I mean, some people were pretty much wanting him sacked on the spot when the story story first broke. (laughs) I've calmed down since then. (laughs) Um... What it, it, was, it was a common feeling that I heard, propagated yes. amongst many. Yes, I, I, and you know, just the time, just you got to feel for for Ricky and for Don oh. because the whole timing of the story breaking as it's officially announced that Joey Leilu has moved on is it's just like, you know, I believe the geez. line from Ricky was, "It shits me." Yes, and um, I think, it, but you know, there's been no more clarification on that and his position within it. Um, so it's hard to say. But um, when he does come back, though, a big deal was made about the fact that, um, and I still don't believe it's actually true, but it was reported that um, Jack Whiten had some special clauses inserted into his contract, i.e. banning himself from Civic. What clauses would you like to see in Curtis Scott's contract moving forward. Well, I'd like when he was out on the town to keep his shirt buttoned up. Yes, exactly. Um, that would be good. And I prefer the moustache was lost. Well, the moustache is gone already. Yeah. It's, I mean, between um, the incident and his court appearance, the moustache mysteriously disappeared. So I'd say however much he paid his lawyer, the advice to shave his moustache was probably worth every penny. Yeah. Yeah, no, those, those are the two major things. And I would like him not to be... Um, to have the hot head out of him on the field. So while as much as I enjoyed Dylan Walker getting what came to him because Dylan Walker picked it and Dylan Walker got it, I know yeah. people call me a Nathan- Neanderthal for that, and maybe I am, but Dylan Walker provoked that situation deliberately and while he got what he wanted in Curtis Scott being sin bin slash suspended subsequently for that, he also went off the field because all the refs saw what he did and that was right and proper. I don't want a player on our side who can be baited like that because it's a trigger. And you see them going for Joey and Leilua, and you see them going for Latrell Mitchell to try and bait them to get that reaction. Yeah. And that's what I'd like to see him not have in his game. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like him to have that hot head cooled. Um, and same with Hutto. Young, I want to see him just be able to have that moment where he doesn't, you know... Yeah. Where he makes good decisions in the hot moments, and that's that's, you can that's be, what I like. And you can be a hothead, you know, Horsburgh style, but you just got to know, you know, there's a line not to cross. Yeah, you know? like John Bateman knows it very clearly. Yeah. he knows when to pick it, and he knows when to, you know, that's enough for it. You know, exactly. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't throw fierce. He doesn't throw down. You know, um, but you know that brings me to my segment, and um, there was something at the grand final that um, irritated me, Blake, and you could say it ground my gears. You know what really grinds my gears? And you know what ground my gears, Blake? For five years, five years, I've been railing at the NRL. You've been calling for it. To control the trainers on the field. Control them. No one likes it. The NRL operations manual, they are not allowed to be out there. They're allowed to come out there, deliver a message, and get the hell off. And that's for the blue shirt trainer. The orange shirt trainer is literally there for injuries, 
and they can be out there to run water when necessary for stoppages and then they have to get the hell off the field. They're only allowed there for injuries, right? Travis Toomer was on the field for the Roosters from the kickoff of the grand final, right in front of and around officials who allowed it to happen. He's an orange shirt trainer. Yeah. And he shouldn't have been on there. He had his water bottle, but no so one Alfie's needed water. blue, hey? He was there, yeah, he's blue. He was there with his water bottle, so he's only allowed to be there to bring an interchange, a deal with an in injured player, and to run water in certain circumstances. Apart from that, he has to be off. He was on there from the very first moment of that match. And at the third minute mark, and the one thing I have got done with railing at Nathan McGurk, who hopefully is now the ex-NRL operations manager because he's the person completely responsible for this, as well as Todd Greenberg for allowing it to occur, and Graham Annesley. The one thing I have got by railing at this was the, the blue shirt trainers were gotten off the field after the fourth tackle because they did recognise that at the fifth tackle the ball might change hands quickly yeah. and there might be a quick change of possession and the trainers might get in the way. So I heard myself, the ground manager, saying you now must have to get off after the fourth tackle. Now that's completely in contravention of the operations manual that doesn't say anything about how many tackles they're on. You have to go on, do your job and get off and only with those parameters. But the NRL operations had just completely let it slip to allow basically on-field coaching. And that's what it is. But it's so, clearly so, on-field coaching. Of but course it is. But so traditionally, and you know, the one that we've <coughs> seen the most from is Alfie Langer. He's the most yeah. blatant example of it. But Brett White does it too. Yeah. But what do we think Turmoil was doing if he was the the orange trainer? Well, you can you can only speculate. But the issue is the referees didn't get him off the field. The ground management staff, who was in fact on that particular day, Nathan McGurk himself, didn't get him off the field or stop him. And not only did he not get off after the, the fourth tackle, he was there for the fifth tackle when Kiri put in that late kick yep. and the ball bounced onto his head. So the NRL didn't even stand by on the biggest match of the year, their own you know, interpretation of what had to be done. And he was there getting hit in the head. Now, this is my question. Has Nathan McGurk, because it has been pointed out to him many times, and they have been derelict in their duty to avoid this completely avoidable risk, has Nathan McGurk actually been sacked? Because he knew. He absolutely knew. And, and while we're on the subject, Nathan McGurk actually was the person who tried to make sure that I didn't get my press pass for the grand final at the same time, which is why I actually went out there and bought my own ticket, because you know what? Anyway, so it was it was a sad moment for him when that ball hit Travis Toomer in the head because that was completely <coughs> on him and everyone knew it was on him. And the thing is, you can argue about the incident all you want, but if that charge down goes through and it's not called a you know an inappropriate tackle by Soliola because there was a lot of argument yeah. on that, and Elliot Whitehead picks that ball up, there's only one Roosters player turned around to go in that direction, and that's um, the fastest man on the field in Tedesco. Tedesco is the only person turned around. So it's a safe bet that he's going to catch up to Whitehead, but right behind Whitehead is Kotrick, CNK, and Croker. They're right on his hammer. So even if Tedesco picks him up, there's going to be either a quick play of the ball where we're likely to score, or alternatively, Tedesco's going to have to hold him down and get sin binned. Wouldn't that have been nice? So that would have been nice. So it was a game-changing decision for something that was completely unavoidable because people in charge aren't doing their jobs for no good reason. Because what is the benefit to anybody, any spectator or the NRL, for having, those for having yeah. the trainers on the field and yeah. posing that risk? There is no reason for it yeah. whatsoever. And it grinds my gears, Blake. And Nathan McGurk, if you haven't been sacked, I am going to come and get you sacked one way or another because you are a failure in your job you do your job poorly you ignored the risks even though you were told about it and I'm going to make sure no one ever forgets it because it grinds my gears yes 
It, it was upsetting. Also, the fact that when he's jogging off, I don't know, I've seen the replays now, he's having a good chuckle as well, which, of course, you probably would, but it's still Look, at the end of the day, the as knife. much as you can be as angry as you want about Travis Teamer, the situation could have been reversed, and that yeah. could have gone into Brett White's head. Because every team's doing it, so it's not on the individual teams and their trainers now. It's actually on the NRL not enforcing and putting a treatment in place for an unnecessary risk. You know, yeah. what's their reason for it? Who gains from it that makes that worthwhile? No, no, no one likes it. No one enjoys it. Yeah, it's it's one of those things, and it's and been for, going on for a long time. Vlandy's to come out, the new chief exec, you know, a new um, chairman of the board to come out and say, oh, we're going to review and put new measures in place. You don't need to put new measures in place, Pete. Yeah. You just need to enforce the ones that are there. It's very, very, very simple. Nothing needs to be done apart from sacking McGurk and enforcing the rules that are already there. Big. Now, I, I believe that something's irritated you too, Blake, and in fact it might be making you go, Blake, I'm the best! When I was leaving the ground and... Um I was actually at the grand final. I was actually staying at my mother's place in Potts Point, which is in the heart of Eastern Suburbs Roosters territory. It really is. <laughs> so I had to share the train ride back to, like an hour-long train ride back to, to Roosters territory with basically just me and my son and a whole bunch of Roosters fans. And you know the most depressing thing about the whole thing was? They were on the train. They could have been going home from a day at the office. They didn't even look happy. Yeah. They were yeah. just like, oh, we knew. We came out here. We got on the train. We expected to win. And it happened. And now we're just going back home to get on with our lives. And I thought, if we had won as Raiders fans, oh, the, yeah. the, the train would have been rocking. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We would have been delirious. But yeah. anyway, it just sort of made the whole thing just a bit grimmer. Yeah, anticlimactic. Yeah, it was that. And I've actually been back to Olympic Park um, inadvertently since then. Well, just a couple of weeks ago, I went out to watch the Sydney Thunder play. And I was out there and I was like, God, this is where it all happened. Yeah. And I sort of had crime. this sort of PTSD about mm-hmm. the whole thing and it was funny because I was telling one of my friends about it and then my son obviously had overheld, overheard me telling one of my friends about the experience and, and he was recounting the story to one of his friends he's going you know Olympic Park you head out there and they try and fool you into thinking that some sort of paradise with all the palm trees but nothing's out there but just bitterness and disappointment yep I think yep. really summed it up yeah, well, before we leave you for this, we have to do our uh, podcast listener of the week. And this week, of course, it's longtime listener and, and fan of the show, Colin Copeland. Um, seen it at Twitter at Colin Copeland2, because there must be a Colin Copeland1 out there, whose hashtags are bling green, hashtag Raiders for life, hashtag Raiders all stars, hashtag we are Raiders, hashtag don't. I don't know what that is. Don the Sash, that's what it is. And what does it say? Don the Sash. And then Liverpool Football Club, and I don't know what the RAN is. Well, it's something to do with Scotland. Rangers. Rangers, oh, oh gracious me. Anyway, he's a long-time listener. Uh, he's basically piled on every time you've harassed me on our, uh, <laughs> on our Twitter site. Oh, he's on my side. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but, I've actually, know, so, yeah, we've started a, well, I've started a, a specific um, Raiders review with Blake and the Pork um, Twitter page. Yes. And if you haven't checked it out, please do so, because if I do say my, so myself, it's very funny. Um, yeah, and it takes it, the piss out of the pork, generally. It's <laughs> at Blake and the pork, all one word, at Blake and the pork, and basically it just lays into me pretty much all the time. <laughs> anyway, you have been listening to the special uh, season beginning 2020 Raiders review with Blake and the pork. I'm the pork. I'm Blake. And we will talk at you again soon. Yes, before round one. Blake and the pork. Oh!